0: the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Focused on Forward. Today's guest is Isaiah Peterson. We're looking forward to his story, of, uh, of overcoming obstacles in his life, the challenges he's faced, and really how he's been able to become focused on forward uh, with everything that he's had to look uh, look at and endure. So Isaiah, we're, we're anxious to hear what you have to say. We're excited to hear what you have to say. So anytime you're ready, go ahead and get started. Sure
1: thing, bud. Uh, okay, well, I guess we'll uh, <clears throat> we just start off whenever I was a, a kid. Uh, as most people's stories go. My dad, uh, he's currently a retired pipe fitter from the union. Uh, He would work on a big job anywhere from uh, a few months to a few years. And whenever those jobs were over, he'd get transferred to another one as needed. Uh, He was a foreman for the majority of the time, so he overlooked a bunch of the the projects. Um, But the way it really affected us was uh, we would move a lot. For what I would think would be closer to his next job, you know, that's what made sense to me. Um, I never really asked a whole lot of a lot of questions about that sort of stuff. It didn't really pertain to me, uh, so <laughs> I just did what I was told uh, when I was when I was told to do it. It was kind of a, a thing that my dad instilled in me as a young a young man, uh, which was a good and bad thing, you know, because I followed directions, uh, but bad because I didn't really put any thought input for myself as to how things would affect me. Um, so, you know, I just kind of went with the flow. Didn't really didn't really become my own person, you know. Didn't really put any thought into who I should be and what I should do. Um, anyways, we're getting off topic a little bit. So I moved around a lot. Um, by the time I was 18, I actually counted out uh, every different place that we lived in that I could remember clearly. Uh, we moved roughly about 20 times uh before I was even eighteen. Um and as a kid, you know, it's kind of it's kind of rough uh moving around that much. You get settled into a place, you start making some friends, uh and then next thing you know you're getting ripped up and you gotta, you know, move halfway across state or or even the country. We lived in a couple different states too. Um so it really made me have to like learn to adjust. And adapt quickly to my surroundings. Um, I found out young that if I wanted to just survive in a new school or in a, a new element, that I would just have to kind of like a chameleon, uh, just change into something or someone that I didn't really want to be. Um, but you know, it was cool and acceptable for the school, so I just did whatever, uh, you know, whatever they wanted me to um, to to fit in. So looking back at it though, I don't really, you know, resent my, my parents for making this move so much as a, as a father now, you know, even though it's been a short time, I understand that we, you know, we got to do what we got to do to keep food on the table and clothes on our backs. Um, so I can't really say that I hated the lifestyle, uh, but it was just rough. You know, I'd be in a school for a grade or two. And like I said before, start making friends, loosen up, start to become, you know, my true self, start showing people who I really am. And then you know, move again. Then I'd claim up, shell up, and and start over again. Uh, it's
0: kind of a rinse, repeat. You know, yeah. get get yourself settled, get set in, and then up and move. And so, rinse, repeat, start fresh.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was it was exhausting. <laughs> you know, I, I'd see uh, I'd see people who were in the the same school, starting you know all the way from kindergarten till graduation. I was I was jealous of it. I won't, I won't lie. Uh, it seemed kind of nice. Um, but the moving finally eventually kind of stopped and, and settled down a little bit. Uh, my sophomore year in high school, we moved uh, to a little town called Wayland. Uh, it's, in, it's in Michigan. It's halfway between uh, Grand Rapids and, and Kalamazoo there. Uh, that's when I really started to like, discover who I wanted to be. Um, I started making a couple good friends, both at the school and the the congregation that I was attending to at the time. Uh, started to loosen up, break up out of that shell a little bit. Um, we eventually did move uh, again, but it was just houses. It wasn't uh, it wasn't anything too bad. Stayed in the same school, um, but it was around that time that my dad started to develop some mental issues. Uh, I guess they had always been there. I never really saw them my parents were pretty good at hiding that sort of stuff from me but it was definitely starting to surface and show a lot more um around 2013 2014 uh he had self-medicated to try and like fix those a lot of as i've learned a lot of people do that before they seek no professional help they they use drugs or or drink and unfortunately that's the that's the stuff that he would do um I never saw him take drugs or, or drink too heavily, which was nice, but I saw the after effects of it. Um, and I would, as me and him had talked about it later on in life, uh, a lot of the things that he did as I was a kid really made sense because it was, uh, you know, you put two and two together, you you see what he did in the past and then, you know, well, that made sense. He was under the influence of something at the time.
0: So, um, so it showed to be, this was a, um, a pattern then something that wasn't just happening at the 2013 2014 stage perhaps was was this something that had been building since you know before that since you were a younger kid yeah
1: yeah for sure it was it was it was building as a kid uh i just you know thought it was normal but <laughs> i learned that it wasn't so normal um <clears throat> but probably the biggest moment that that stuck out in my mind um we were all eating dinner one night and uh, we were kind of having a little bit of an intervention with my dad. Uh, I'd mentioned to him that I was starting to think that he was becoming an alcoholic, uh, which he was. Um, He had this, this specific beer that he really enjoyed. Um, It was local brewed. It was like $15 for a six pack. Uh, But he would, he would, Go through one or two six packs a day, and at the time we were super low income. Um, he had he was put on disability because he crushed his leg during a, a work accident, um, so we didn't have any money coming in. didn't have Didn't have a whole lot going for us, but it always seemed like even if we didn't have enough food for everybody, there was always that six pack there for him that he you know he bought. Uh, so I was explaining to him our, our frustrations and what, uh, how, you know, how that affected us and everything. And he was starting to get frustrated, uh, with us because, you know, in his mind, he thought he was doing the best he could, but in reality, he wasn't and we were trying to make him, make him realize that, um, but the longer we went on, the more, the more angry he got, uh, and pretty soon he just started, you know, yelling at us and, he he was I forget what we were eating, but he had a steak knife with him. Uh and he took it and he, he drove it into the table and keep it, you know, G rated, I'll paraphrase, but he just he screamed at us saying that he wished that we would just, you know, leave him the F alone. Uh and at that point I was so worked up, I got up and I was like, I, I gotta go. I can't be here anymore. So I stood up and walked out of the house and I just started walking. Um a little context in there for how (laughs) how it was it was january of 2014 in michigan dead middle of winter i had a t-shirt on basketball shorts no shoes no socks um just i was just out i didn't want to be there anymore so i was just walking in this like three feet of snow middle of the night (laughs) uh eventually my my mom found me i was I i probably got about half a mile down the road um she found me. And we, we went back home and we talked a little bit more. Things had settled down a little bit. He um, eventually decided to admit himself into a mental institution um, to help figure out what he needed for help uh, in hopes of, of sobering him up. Uh, he got out, but it didn't really seem to work out the first time as things normally do. Um, I remember waking up, it was about two or three in the morning. Uh, I heard a back door fly open of our of our house. I was sleeping upstairs at the time. And I heard him stumbling around. He was like, "It's okay. I'm fine. Don't, you know, don't worry about me. Don't no go looking for me or nothing." Kind of like sarcastically. Um come to find out he was he was with some friends that that night and crashed into a snowbank. Uh, that was on a Tuesday morning, whenever I found that stuff out. Thursday afternoon, uh, I was at school. I got called down to the office. Uh, I saw my my mom and sister, they were at the, the entrance of the school waiting to pick me up. She told me not to be afraid, that everything was going to be fine, uh, but we were going to go live with my aunt and uncle for a little bit. Uh, but coming to find out, he got mixed up with some bad people uh, that Monday night, Tuesday morning, uh, did a bunch of drugs, uh, and was eventually convicted of uh, armed robbery. He, he held up a couple of stores and then blacked out, driving home and crashed into a snowbank. So when I found all that stuff, I felt like my entire world crumbled down. Um, You know, I had, I had worked really hard building myself up after moving all this time and becoming who I am, trying to show people who I am. And then all of a sudden, all this stuff comes out about us and our family and really, you know, soiled that, uh, that image that I had built up for myself Um, uh, on top of, you know, my family too there was a lot of a lot of people like look down on us and you know rightfully so it's a lot to a lot to come out at once
0: <laughs> It's a lot it's a lot for people to take in i'm sure yeah because you know having known your dad since i was oh goodness about seven years old mm-hmm. uh i remember hearing about that and i was like no that's not Isaiah. that's not isaac That that's not what he would do uh you know so yeah um you know, I, I, w- I would be classified as one of those people that were, were shocked by the news.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a lot to handle for everybody. Um, so, you know, everybody knew about it. Uh, our house was, was raided by the, the police so they could find the evidence. Um, my father, he had attempted suicide uh, before he had gotten arrested. Um, there was a friend that he had messaged. He's like, I'm hanging a rope in a garage. He's like, if you get here in time, great. If not, you know, tell my family I love them sort of thing. Um, so that was devastating to hear about. Um, so shortly after he had gotten he had gotten arrested, they, they found him. Um, we lost our home. Uh, cars got repossessed. We bounced between some of my, my family's places. So then we had somewhere to sleep and somewhere to eat. You know, they took care of us for a little bit. Uh, A couple months later, though, we or I graduated uh, high school and my grandmother, my dad's mom, someone who I hadn't seen in about eight to 10 years, uh, showed up just out of the blue, gave me a handful of cash. She's like, I can I can take care of you guys. We love you. You can come live with us in Kentucky. I'll 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 take care of you. So naturally, I was like, yeah, let's do it, because. You know, we didn't have a house, we didn't have a car, we didn't have a job. Um, so I convinced my mom and my little sister to, to pack up and we took what little we had and moved to, to her, uh, moved to live with her in Kentucky. Uh,
0: so this would have seemed like a, like a, a, quite a, quite a boost because you had nothing in here with somebody saying, Hey, mm-hmm. I can help you get back on your feet and offering you, offering yes. you a, an olive branch, so to speak.
1: Yes. So it was, you know, it was a it was a blessing, it seemed like, at the time. Um, so we moved down there. Uh, I was back at square one with how I, you know, felt with the world. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't have any friends, so I kind of clammed up a little bit again, as I did before. Um, she took care of us, for sure. She bought us a house um, that we had to pay back but things started to get kind of toxic. Um, she was really manipulative and would lie a lot. And if we didn't do something the way that she wanted us to, she would just, you know, cut funds. She, she'd stop helping us out. Um, she eventually repossessed my, my mom's car cause she had bought the car. It was in it was in her name. Um, just took it from her one night. She had no way to get home cause she was out. Um, I forget exactly what the, what the ordeal was, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a major thing why she took it. She just took it because she had the power, you know?
0: Yeah. I think I heard that story uh, from from someone else.
1: Yeah. It's, it was a, it was a pretty crazy night. (laughs) Um, So I was, I was ready to move out. Like I needed to be on my own. Um, It was at the time I started to uh, self harm. I had this piece of glass. Uh, that broken off off my nightstand and I was using it to to cut my shoulders because I figure that's like the least place someone would see I always wear long sleeves or, or hoodies um, <clears throat> so I'd use that you know every night um, decided that if I didn't move on with my life and, and get my my own place and move out and be away from everyone that I was just going to take my own life because you know it seemed like there was Nothing else to to live for at the time you know
0: <clears throat> so how, how old were you now at this point when you began self harming I was around
1: sixteen whenever I started, but seventeen was when it like really really took into effect okay <clears throat> wasn't yeah, it got really bad um, so anyways, uh, I was talking to this girl uh it was actually back before I'd even graduated we were uh <clears throat> We were just friends. I kept trying to pursue a, a relationship with her, but she kept turning me down. Uh, she had just lost her grandfather, and I was there for a night and day. Uh, well, her great-grandfather, not her grandfather, um, her great-grandpa. She had just lost him. I was there for a night and day. We were on the phone all the time. Um, so she eventually decided, you know what, he might be a, a good potential partner, so we started to pursue a relationship together. Uh, and that's when things kind of turned around for me. I went for a visit in September. Uh, she lived in North Carolina or lives in North Carolina. Uh, went for a visit in September, came back, uh, thought about it for a while, went back to visit her in October. And at that point I was like, I'm just going to move here. So I had $200 in my pocket, a trunk full of clothes, and I moved into her parents' camper in their front yard. Uh about a year later, uh, we got married. I was working for a, uh, a as a draftsman at a, a I forget what they made now. We made mezzanines is mainly what I designed, like big steel structures. Um, <clears throat> I worked there for about 50, you know, 50 hours a week, full time, giving it my all. Uh, we eventually got a really nice four bedroom house. Things were looking really good. Uh, and then I... Got called into the uh, manager's office one day, and he explained to me that I was apparently doing my job wrong, uh, which nobody ever explained it to me how I was doing my job wrong all this time. But they never said anything. Uh, but they had to let me go, so I had to uh, live off unemployment for a little bit. Things kind of kind of was rough for for us financially. Um,
0: I so took you were- the just to to step back a quick second there Mm -hmm. so you went from working 50 hours a week designing mezzanines and they're like yay great give them overtime to you're doing your job wrong
1: yes i've got no idea why um i felt like they were just trying to pin something on me like you know i was the scapegoat because i was low man on totem were you yeah yeah i was very low um like for company picnics and stuff, I was always the the person that sat on the outside because I could care less to make, you know, friends in in high places. So, uh, you know, I was a scapegoat I I think um, for it. So I took the first job that I could uh, cutting meat at a local deli. And it's kind of, it's, it's funny to me now, but it was kind of, kind of a cocky attitude that I had. I was like, you know what, I'm too good for this. Uh, I was an engineer for, for a year and a half, so I quit uh, on, on site. I worked there for about like six hours, and I was like, I'm done. Um, so I so, thought it was beneath
0: you? Yeah, I
1: thought, thought it was beneath me, but quickly uh, bit me in the butt because I had to take the next job. I had no other opportunities or no other options, uh, so I took the first opportunity that I could as a cook for a nursing home. So <clears throat> I was uh, humbled a little bit. I eventually actually got my, my job back as an engineer um, at the same place. Somehow history repeated itself, and they let me go again. Um, so I was pretty uh, pretty upset about that. Sure. Uh, things, things started to go downhill financially for us. We had to move in with my in-laws. Um, we were actually living in my wife's room um, that she grew up in. It was very small, very very small room um, and I, I got a job working at gamestop, like entry level. I was making 725 an hour because that's what the north North Carolina minimum wage is for about 12, 16 hours a week um, you know making like a hundred and fifty three hundred dollars every paycheck, which was bi-weekly um, so we we're just barely scraping by. And I was sitting in our room one day, and my wife comes in with a pregnancy test and had the faintest little line of a positive. So, naturally, we were really excited. Uh, but I was also very nervous because I was only working. You know, a handful of hours, and
0: we were low hours, low wage. Yeah, so living in I a started, I can see why yeah. you were nervous. Yeah, very nervous.
1: <laughs> so, uh, her parents were actually really helpful. Um, her dad started building an addition for us in their in their house. And oh, that's amazing! Yeah, it's it's where we are now. It's a very very cozy little apartment. Um, but anyways started working harder um, at gamestop I eventually worked my way up to uh, an assistant store manager position so I'm working full- time there doing pretty good uh, uh, financially so I was able to support you know the three of us now uh, baby was was growing really good um, we eventually found out the gender it was a boy it was what we wanted the first go around and you know I thought things couldn't get any better i'm I'm living in a nice you know apartment now um got a good full time job we got a baby on the way uh we went on a date uh we went and watched the secret life of pets 2 uh the baby seemed to enjoy it because he just kept moving around jordan felt them all night i i felt them all night too um <clears throat> the next day i had to cover a coworker's shift i was going to end up working a double on a saturday excuse me <clears throat> and uh we only had one car at the time because we had to sell my other car while we were you know, struggling financially. And Jordan drops me off. I'm there for about not even an hour, probably like 30, 40 minutes. And I get a call from, from my wife, Jordan, saying that she was losing a ton of blood and um, that her mom was taking her to the hospital. So I started to freak out a little bit, uh, but her brother uh, came and picked me up and we drove uh, to the hospital. It's about 30 minutes. Uh, that time kind of went by in a blur. I don't really remember talking or saying anything in the car ride there. It just kind of showed up. Um, but what I could remember is it was raining. It was starting to storm pretty bad. Uh, so we get to the hospital. Jordan's sitting in the waiting room. Um, she said that she could still feel him moving. So that made us you know, hopeful that, that nothing was, was too serious. Uh, they get her back into the room. Lay her down in the in the bed, strap on the monitors to her, uh, and they found a heartbeat. So there was a big sigh of relief. Uh, you know, he was alive, he was healthy. Jordan said she was feeling a movement, so everything's good. Um, up until they checked her cervix and said that she was about five, six centimeters dilated. Um, so I had no idea what that meant, so, so I asked the nurse, and she says, well, that means that you're having your baby today. Um, my heart dropped. I had no idea what to feel. <laughs> I was excited uh, that we were about to have our our little one, um, but I felt like it was a little too soon. I didn't really know how long it takes for, you know, babies to, to brew. Uh, so the the nurse asked us how far along she was, uh, and I told her that it was about twenty four weeks. And I watched the nurse's face like go from you know optimistic and happy that we're about to have a baby to concerned Very worried, really fast yeah
0: yeah absolutely 24 um, weeks yeah so
1: they moved us to the uh labor and delivery room i walked out into the waiting room and, and told her mom um and i could see the worry in her face too cuz she knew you know it probably isn't going to be good um so they let her her come back with with me uh so there was just the three of us in the room uh they called the NICU room or the the NICU unit sorry Uh, to come they were struggling hard to find one that was available to come to us because at this point it was borderline hurricane it was it was really bad weather-wise so they couldn't get a helicopter to us Um, so they had to drive the nearest one was about two hours away Uh, we live in the in the backwoods mountains of, of North Carolina so it was it was really treacherous to try and fly a helicopter through the mountains during this you know monsoon so they have a an ambulance drive about two hours away. Um, <clears throat> as, the, as we're waiting, you know, they're prepping her, trying to keep the baby, and they're giving them shots and, and stuff to strengthen him and her for for the you know, birth. Um, and they told us that the the babies born at 24 weeks their survival rate is about 70 percent um and had he been like one more week farther along would have gone to 90 uh so I felt a little bit of hope but not a whole lot I was I was starting to get pretty nervous so they get her to go into labor uh the NICU shows up uh, as soon as they do doctor breaks her water for her and within about not even 10 minutes um uh, our boy comes and he was one pound, 13 ounces, super, super small. Uh, he was, I think 16 inches long. So he was, he was pretty long, but he he didn't weigh very much. Uh, he took his first breath, sounded like a kitten is, is, is best I could describe like a, like a weak, sick kitten. Um, it was the one and only breath that he took. Uh, on his own, so they instantly took him to the next room. We didn't get you know a chance to hold him, and they start running all the all the lines, the IVs, and oxygen, and all that stuff for him. Uh, it took him about an hour, which seemed like forever. It was the longest hour we've ever experienced. Um, they rolled him in in his little you know incubator box with all these tubes and stuff hooked into him. Uh, it was pretty horrifying to see Uh, we were both pretty pretty scared we didn't we didn't know what was going to happen uh so they let us see him for a few minutes uh we were allowed to put our our hand through the through the box there was a little hole that you could you know put your hand through um he wrapped his his fingers around my my pinky didn't even go all the way around <laughs> his, <laughs> his, his little hands. Um, so the van uh, came in for the NICU unit, the experts, you know, loaded them up, drove off. Um, they told Jordan that she couldn't leave just yet. They had to you know, monitor. She had you know, just given birth. So sure. they needed to, to make sure that she was okay. Um, but me and my mother-in-law uh, hopped in the van and, and, and rode behind them. Uh, for the, the two hour drive through through these mountains
0: um, oh so she had she gave birth at the original hospital the originating hospital not the NICU hospital
1: correct yes okay. yeah they couldn't okay. they couldn't transport her she was way too un- unstable they said okay um, they were practically like had her upside down so then the baby didn't come before the NICU van showed up
0: <laughs> oh wow yeah
1: yeah trying to try to keep the little guy in um <clears throat> So we, we eventually arrive at the at the hospital uh, and they said that they were, you know, stabilizing them, getting ready. Um, took about two hours before we could finally get in. Um, Jordan had called me at that time where we were sitting in the waiting room, said that they were letting her go um, from the hospital and she wanted an update. I told her, you know, things were fine. She just needs to go home and sleep. She'd been up. For a long time at this point, um, and that she should come down tomorrow because you know there's nothing that they can that we can do right now. So, a little bit of time passes. Uh, and the nurse comes and gets us. We're taken to a station where we wash our hands up to our elbows for about three minutes apiece. Uh, I gotta scrub up real good, and then we're taken to the NICU floor. Uh, there is about twelve or so rooms uh on the in the unit uh each one had like a glass wall so i think it's could see through uh so we saw all these other babies as we as we're walking um some of them were almost full size you know ready to to graduate from the the unit um some of them were just as small as small as cade was our was what we named them i think i forgot to mention that <laughs> um so we get to see all these other other babies doing well uh so i had a little bit of hope you know seeing how far along some of these guys had come uh finally get to his room uh i see him laying there in his in his box still doing doing good from what i could tell uh doctor came in she had this like really thick accent out of don't even know where where it came from but uh she was talking to us it was kind of hard to understand her um but she was saying that you know he was doing okay but he was having troubles getting air trapped between his lungs and his chest cavity like it was like constricting his breathing it was it wasn't helping him out um so they were trying to to work on that uh, as well as the fact that he's going to probably be in in the NICU unit for about three to four months, um, so I knew then and there my life was going to be completely changed. <laughs> um, you know, I was going to have to to work a few days here where I'm living, and then drive two hours away to to you know stay with him for a few days because there's no way that I'm not going to you know not, see him during that
0: time. Right, not going to not be there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so I'm just sitting there on um, the room next to him thinking about all this stuff, uh, but it was interrupted by a bunch of alarms and, and lights and stuff going off, um, and doctors and nurses flooding their room no sooner, and then those, those alarms go off, um, and they, they kicked they kicked us out of the room, uh, me and my, my mother-in-law, and we we're sitting in the room next to it, uh, and we're just hearing them you know, shout and operate, and it sounded like a you know scene from a movie. And we're sitting there listening to him, And then one of the nurses says that she's going to start applying chest compressions. That like sentence haunts me still. Cause I could tell right then that things aren't going good, you know? Right. So you hearing all these alarms and the doctors and, and stuff and, I had this overwhelming feeling of of lost hope. Um, so they're operating on him, and next thing I know, the the doctor comes in and she's got this you know look of defeat on her face. Um, said that there is nothing else that they could do. Uh, he's lost a lot of oxygen. They couldn't you know resuscitate him. Um, so they can they can keep him you know breathing and alive, but you know he's 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 brain dead there's nothing you know there's never gonna be any any progression he's never gonna grow no nothing um so i just i had to make that call that it was just time to to turn everything off um so called my wife uh and we told her that they should head done in the hospital. we didn't tell him what had happened yet because we didn't want uh you know we didn't want them driving two hours during that storm in the dark now uh with that with that on their mind we just said hey you should you just need to come down here right
0: be focused on the drive so she can yeah. arrive safely sure sure yeah.
1: so uh <clears throat> i go in there and you know he's laying in his incubator still tied up to all these tubes and stuff and asked me if i wanted to hold him i was like yeah <laughs> so sat down on the chair, uh, they handed him to me and slowly started you know pulling out IVs and turning off his oxygen uh, and I held him as he you know took his took his last breath.
0: If you'd like to take a break for a moment, we can yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> um, you
1: know all I could all I could tell him was you know how much I loved him, and I just felt this emptiness you know as he struggled to take his last breath and finally just you know felt him die <laughs> um, <clears throat> I felt as if I failed him in some way. Um, I don't know how Um, I was
0: going to say, how so
1: just because, you know, as a father, you feel like it's your sole purpose is to, to protect, you know, and
0: I can appreciate that.
1: The one, you know, the one job that I had, I couldn't do. Um, So we sat there uh, and one of the nurses, he was super like, super nice um really appreciate him i think his name was michael uh he helped me clean up clean up cade get them all you know as proper as he as he could and laid him down in his bed uh, and that's when jordan and her dad and brother showed up and i stood in the room there with them she turned the corner and she knew (laughs) um
0: yeah i'm sure it was pretty obvious at that point eventually
1: moved us into
0: yeah it was it was pretty obvious um
1: they eventually moved us to like this family room um with with him and i guess the the six of us stood in the stood in the room uh we're all holding them in and You know, taking, trying to take some pictures of him. He had bruises all up and down his body. Um, You know, holes from from the IVs and yeah. yeah. Um, So we're able to get a couple of you know decent pictures. Not very, not like profile pictures, but we got some of like his his nose and his forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just trying to you know keep all the
0: Preserve memories.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So we were in there for probably like four hours. Um, And the uh, funeral, or, um, sorry, yeah, the funeral home director um, came from a a local funeral home and discussed arrangements and we decided that we were going to uh, get him cremated. (coughs) So eventually rolled him you know rolled him off to to have that process done and taken care of and we we had left um we walked out of the other room back into like the main waiting room to to leave the hospital and there was actually some uh some friends from our our congregation which i didn't expect it was like four in the morning um oh wow sitting in the sitting the wait waiting room for us so uh, you know, we, we talked for a little bit and, you know, they said that they were there for us and
0: <clears throat> oh,
1: nice. we eventually made it back home. Uh, finally, finally got in and we both crashed. We hadn't slept since, you know, the day before we'd sure. been out for not,
0: hours on end. Yeah. Yeah. For a so, while. Just for, for context here. Yeah. <clears idea. throat> How old were you and Jordan at this time?
1: That was a year ago, so twenty-two, twenty-three. 22, twenty-three.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's a lot to handle at a young age. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was definitely not what I had expected I would ever go through, or anybody to go through. Really, it's it's nothing anybody should should have to handle. No. Um. But we we got home and, and crashed and woke up and i checked my phone and there was an unlimited amount of messages and phone calls and people you know trying to get a hold of us and you know give their condolences and ask if we need anything and you know I, a lot of our friends and and family took care of us for a couple of weeks um but you know time moves on so we had to as well uh still nights where i'm trying to sleep and i hear you know the Those alarms going off, and the the doctor saying that she's applying those chest compressions, and trying trying to get those out of my my head as much as possible. Um,
0: Those are hard noises to shake.
1: Yeah, they're very hard. Um, But I try and you know focus on the on the good memories. Um, We had you know a few. He we learned he didn't like his feet touched um the nurse was was trying to get like his birth certificate taken care of and they got to do the you know the feet prints and even though this kid like weighed no more than a book he would you know pull his legs back every time the the doctor tried to tried to uh, wasn't having it no he wasn't having it um so you know i have good days where i smile about that stuff and then you know naturally there's the bad ones where you know the overwhelming uh feeling of failure, you know, takes over again. <clears throat> um, but, you know, eventually we, we made through it. Uh, we were able to uh, try again within a, a few months. And a year later, we have a, a one month old. I just put him down to sleep for his nap because he was up with mom all night. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so... Like I don't know, the, the feeling of appreciation really takes over. You know, we went through all this, you know, darkness and and finally made it over the hurdle. You know, things eventually got better. Yeah. Um, you know, I still have that, that same fear of, of failure that I do um for Cade as I or for Ace as I do for Cade, you know. I'm always I'm always afraid that something's gonna happen to him no but
0: well that's not a feeling that goes away no in in normal parenting situations there's always that overwhelming fear mm-hmm. um but i would imagine that in your situation and, and jordan's situation that's a uh a heightened feeling of awareness
1: very yeah very heightened we i mean with every sound he makes in the middle of the night we're both jumping out of bed you know <laughs> <laughs> running to, to make sure he's fine He he is he's you know just making Doing well nice as, and strong as babies do yeah
0: good good um,
1: so you know the the biggest thing that I've I've worked on through everything you know growing up and and you know shaping who I am you know I've always I've always focused on not to you know sound cheesy or corny or anything but focused on you know moving forward <laughs> um
0: no, feel free to plug the the podcast name that as many times as you like. It's oh, it's a good name. It's a good I liked
1: name. it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, you can't just sit there and 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 sulk about the about the past. You know, you got to move forward. Um, there's nothing you can do to to change. You know, the things that have happened in your life, but you can you can work hard to to reshape and mold the future. Uh, you know, there's always there's always a way out. There's always happiness. Uh, even if even if you don't realize it at the time you know when when you make it out you'll you'll find the the good stuff to to think about and remember during, yeah. during those times of,
0: of darkness you know so uh, let me ask you this cuz here's this is a question i, I like to ask the uh, of everyone mm-hmm. um, so not to try and simplify all of your experiences down into one sentence or, or one thing but if you, could, if you could point to all of your experiences, your experiences of, of growing up, your experiences of what happened with your father and uh, his issues, his incarceration, how that affected you, moving forward to um, uh, the, the loss of Cade and now the happiness of Ace. Um, what would you say is is the biggest learning point that you took away from all of that? What's the, like, if you had to to simplify this down for somebody and, and, you know, give them the cliff notes version and say, this is the most important thing that is, this is my takeaway.
1: I guess my takeaway is that no matter how rough things will get, they're always going to get better. You know, darkness can't exist without light, you know, eventually. Eventually, the sun comes up. Things get better.
0: Okay. Well, no, that's that seems fitting. You know, you look back at at uh, uh, you know everything that that you've gone through, and I I scratch notes while you're talking. That's that's what I do, so I can remember things later because that's how long my memory is. I understand. It's a lot of info, but you know, so you know, you look back at everything. You, you know, from moving to your dad's issues to your to your own issues now um as a um another side question over one of your one of the issues that you faced uh, i want to go back to the to the self-harm for a moment if that's okay Mm -hmm. yes now you said now when you were you started that uh when you're about 16 or 17 how were you able to stop that or is that something that you still struggle with
1: I mean, it's something I always still, you know, struggle with the, uh, you know, the, the uh, feeling that I need to is always there. Um, but I have a, a really good support. <laughs> um, my wife is, is, you know, dealt with with it. Uh, my brother-in-law has dealt with it. My father-in-law has dealt with it. Um, we've all, you know, had our discussions and, and we're all there for each other. Oh, that's
0: awesome so you definitely have a support team there with yeah but those finding, who understand
1: it yeah finding somebody that has you know the same the same issues as you maybe they're not you know going through the same stuff but you know their outlet is the same um helps helps out because you can you know share your your experiences and, and support each other you know celebrate the victories you know i've been i haven't you know hurt myself and three, four, let's see. Yeah. About five, six years now, probably good. Uh, you know, scars are still there. They won't always be there, but they also kind of serve as a reminder too, that, uh, you know, I eventually overcame something like that. Things, you know, things got better. Like I said, um,
0: Now scars aren't always a bad thing. Scars can yeah. be helpful. They can remind us, they can, you know, Uh, it gives you a reminder of your history, things maybe you don't want to repeat, you Mm -hmm. know, and why you don't want to go back to that space. So that's not always a bad thing. Okay. So how are your mom and dad doing today? They're doing really good. Um, my dad's doing phenomenal.
1: He's, uh, he's worked really hard to improve himself. Uh, he's, he's, you know, gone through a lot of therapy and, and, uh, a lot of a lot of psych meds but he's you know he's my dad again which is really nice no that's (laughs) awesome still still goofy is all is all about but
0: goofy's okay goofy helps you get through some (laughs) some weird stuff so (laughs) so
1: you know i don't you know if they ever hear this thing i don't want them to to think that i you know resent them or hate them for all the stuff that we've gone through you know everybody goes through something um you know it's just it shaped me into who I am today. Yeah,
0: yeah. I always <laughs> say that it's it's not the the journey that matters; it's the destination. Exactly. So, you know. So yeah, you may have had some bumps and and things along the way, and and uh, but it's it's where you end up that matters. And you know, you were talking about moving around a lot as a kid. Uh, I I understand that emotion very well. Um, I think my last count, I went to was a fourteen different school districts. Oof. That's rough, yeah, well, you know we were always moving around as a matter of fact, when once we came up to uh, the area that we live now the the country area that we lived in now, uh, that was supposed to be our last move, and even at that, I, we moved four times before I graduated high school. Um, you know, so it was like we were nomadic. We were always moving. A lot of it was based on the issues that my mother had with my natural father. He there was uh, issues with alcoholism and abuse, and so we were moving out, moving in, moving out, moving in, uh, all the yeah. time uh, when I was real little. So, but yeah. So when you were talking about you know how it, it's difficult to start fresh and start new, you know, one of the other things I was thinking about with that though is that it actually for me, uh, and, and maybe you found this to be that way too, um, is that it makes me a little bit more of an outgoing person now because yeah. it's, I have, I'm used to having to break the ice and talk to people, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was always the new kid. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so, and I don't know if that was a similar thing that you go through now, you know? Um, because for me, it helped me out. Cause I was, I did online sales for a long time. I did person to person sales for a long time. Um, you know, uh, going to job site to job site and, and selling construction materials, and I always found it very easy to talk to people because, well, I always had you know, I was the new kid, so but always had to explain who I was, what I was, where I came from, you know, <laughs> <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, excellent, so um, yeah, this is. You know, really appreciate you uh, you coming on today. Really oh, I appreciate, appreciate you having me. You. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, the thing is with, with our, our little podcast here is we always want to be uh, a venue for people to share their stories because even though, you know, somebody may not resonate with everything that you talked about here, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's been enough things in your life that somebody can pick one of those things. And even if they've gone through none of those things, I think the positivity of your outlook and how, how to move forward, how to stay focused on moving forward, um, you know, I think that really helps, uh, uh, you know, with other people being able to look at their situations in life and going, well, if, if he can do it, maybe I can too. And you know, if if nothing else, if we're able to accomplish that uh, with these with these discussions, then I'm thrilled. Yeah, I'm too. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I thank you for being here. And I, I think that will conclude us for today. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. right, three do Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastFOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on Forward.